Welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here. I'm Tim. Um, if you have not been around, if you just like new, I'm one of the guys you'll see up here on a regular basis. They call me PT. They call me Tim. You can call me whatever you want. Well, anything but wiener for obvious reasons. Okay. A whole lot of reasons. Um, I, I, uh, I, I've been working on a lot of things behind the scenes. I sent out an all-church email to you. Hopefully most of you got it. If you're not on our email list, fill out that communication card because we really want to be able to uh, help you know what's going on. But I, I'm the president of this national convention next year, and it's going to be a, a big undertaking. And I'm writing a book because of it right now. I'm in the middle of so I appreciate your prayers for all of that. And then in the middle of that, uh, Rick Warren asked uh, Denise and I to go to Rwanda with him and see how... Saddleback has uh, affected an entire country with their peace plan, and so we're doing that over Labor Day. So I'm going to go four weeks here in a row, and then we're going to go to Rwanda over Labor Day and uh, and see that. A lot of crazy, crazy things that are getting ready to happen. So get on our email list. You can see the building is rocking. Isn't it looking awesome? Drive by the outside. So you can look you can look in and see the chapel and you're like already thinking, man, I gotta die now. This is gonna be awesome. <laughs> they got a place to bury me. This is I can't wait to be laying there, man, looking up at those beams. It's awesome. And, and we got VBS going on around here, two hundred and fifty junior hires this week. Thank you, sponsors who helped us with that. We got uh, kids boot camp killing it just back there. I know your kids are excited about what's going on. We couldn't do regular VBS, so we did it on the weekends, and it's been fantastic. Over a thousand kids. It's just uh, a lot of stuff still goes on around here in the summer. I just want you to know that. So uh, we're headed into the fall. We're headed in strong. I wanted to do. I, I get to do all four weeks of a series, and I thought, what what what, what could we talk about in the four weeks of August? And it's one of the most important things I think we could talk about. You know, I, I was telling uh, Chaz, who's my intern down here. I don't know if you met. Chaz yet. I was telling Chaz, you know, I mean, if, I think if Jesus had one chance to tell, uh, you know, to talk to people, it would probably be the subject that he spent more time on than he spent any other time on preaching. And so that's what I'm going to do. And it has to do with being lost. When's the last time you were lost? I want to hear your lost stories, okay? I want to get some of you old people tweeting. That's what I want to do. So uh, follow me on Twitter, T.L. Harlow, but I want you to, I, you don't have to put my name on it. All you need to do is put hashtag I was so lost and tell your story, all right? You only have 140 characters, so you got to remember that. It's also on Facebook if your story is long and involved. I want to know your great lost stories. Already got a great one last night. Uh, I want to hear your lost stories. And then this is Jimmy Fallon stuff, okay? Then when we come back, the next week I'm going to read you some of those tweets and your, you know, Twitter account will blow up after I read it at Parkview, okay? Last time I, I was trying to think, when was the last time I was really lost? And the last time I can think of having, you know what I'm talking about, that feeling of, man, I really don't know where I'm at, okay? Think of the last time that was. For me, I was in Birmingham, England. All right. We had a campus ministry that we supported over there. My daughter had gone over to help start it. It's ironic because her husband was in that campus ministry and we didn't know he was going to be her husband at the time. Nathan and Jen Jones, our student ministry pastors, were in that ministry and we didn't know that they were going to come and work here at that time. I was just over there with Rachel visiting and we were all hanging around. And, and Birmingham, England is not, the, you know, I mean, it's not the slums, but it's not Beverly Hills. It's not the nicest place in the world. 
and, uh, and we were staying in this little B&B because there's no motels around there. It was a college town, and, and, and it got late because, you know, these kids are just going to stay up. And, you know, obviously, Ash was hitting on my daughter. I didn't even know it, but they're all sitting around. They're talking, and, you know, campus ministry in England, you know, equates to Guinness and God. That's how you, that's how you do that. It's Guinness and God. And it was getting late. It was like 2 o'clock. I'm like, I got to go to bed. You guys, I'm, I'm out of here. So I decided, it's just a walking thing. There's no cabs. So I decided to walk. You know, I thought I knew where this little B&B was that we stayed. And I started walking off through the streets of Birmingham, England in the middle of the night and got royally lost. And I thought, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I've, got, I've got a phone, but I don't have anybody's number, you know, in England. I don't, I don't even know how to dial that. And I couldn't talk to the locals because of the obvious, you know, language barrier that goes on there. <laughs> Well, okay, actually, there weren't any locals up, but I, I was, I was uh, for a split second, I had that feeling of, oh my gosh, how am I going to find my way back? You know what I'm talking about? That's the feeling that I'm talking about. Now, thankfully, I had a smartphone, even at that point, and uh, I thought, you know what, I, I wonder if GPS works in England. I wonder if I can get my data turned on and, and it'll actually load up, and it did, and I found my way back thanks to my smartphone, which was really funny because I don't think any of us have really been lost since the invention of GPS, right? I mean, we've been in the wrong place, but we've never been lost since we've had some way to have GPS. Do you old people remember what it was like when there was no GPS? <clears throat> and all you could do is stop and ask the guy with two teeth at the filling station how to get somewhere, okay? You've you, you got to understand that. Do you young people even understand what it was like to, to have an atlas the size of a phone book folded up and crammed into your glove box? You don't even know what we're talking about. It's so amazing to me. That's a GPS. That was our GPS. It was called a map, okay? And the, and the problem with the map is, is not that it, the map can't tell you where you're going because it can. It can tell you where you're going and how to get there. The problem with the map is it don't know where you are. That's the whole deal with GPS is like, okay, I know where that is, but where am I? And that's really what lost is. It's I don't know where I am. And you would think with the invention of GPS that that solves everything, but there's still another problem even though that we now have GPS, right? What is that? If your GPS is wrong, okay? You can tweet those stories to me at I Was So Lost as well. I read this story back in the winter, but I got to do it again because it's so funny. This woman in Belgium who went 900 miles in the wrong direction because she was listening to her GPS. Did you, did you see that? No, I did say she was a woman. I want to show you a map, okay? <laughs> She, because I didn't do this last time. This was good. She's supposed to go like right here, okay? And her GPS said, no, no, you're going to Croatia, okay? I mean, it's one thing when you're going through states, but she said, you know, I kept going through, and the signs changed to German, and then they changed to Croatian, but she kept going. Why? Because she had a bad signal. She had a bad GPS signal. She said, I was distracted, so I just kept going. I mean, she stopped for gas twice. She slept along the side of the road. She said, finally, I ended up in Zagreb, and I realized, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Not unbelievable, but it can happen if you're listening to the wrong GPS signal, okay? So you can be lost if you, A, don't know where you are. You can be lost, B, if you have the wrong GPS signal. And then I'll just give you a third time. Sometimes I get lost because I don't listen to the right GPS signal. You ever do that? 
GPS says turn left and you're like, it's not over there. It can't be over there. I know it's not. I know where it is. It's not over there, woman. And, and you see, that was the problem. I finally realized I had to change my GPS signal to a man so that I would start listening to it. That, that's just me. So now it's John Cleese from Monty Python, and I'll listen to him all day. Turn left, you empty-headed animal food trough wiper. What I'm saying is if you, if you don't know where you are, if you're listening to the wrong voice or you're not listening to the right voice, you are going to get lost. And obviously, the right voice is Jesus, and that's what I want to do over the next four weeks and in, in one specific area. Jesus said, I have come to have life and give it to you in the full. I mean, that's a promise from Jesus. Anything Jesus does for you or wants from you or wants for you is so that your life will be full. Not just in heaven, but now. He wants you to have a full life. But we have to follow His plan. And if you were with me when we did the Weird series uh, a few years ago, we talked about how Jesus said that wide is the road that leads to destruction and many are on it. So what is that? They're listening to the wrong GPS signal. But narrow is the road that leads to life, and fewer on it. And it leads to life, but fewer on it. Okay, because they're they're list, they're either they don't know they're lost, or they're not they're listening to the wrong signal, or they're not listening to the right one, and so they're lost. And here's what's sad: the GPS signal and the narrow road is not about God wanting to kill your fun. The GPS signal of God is here to help you have a more full life. You'll hear a testimony from some people on this subject in just a minute, and you'll understand that. Your life is going to be better if you listen to the road, if you listen to the signal that takes you on the road to life. I promise you. Okay? So this is what I want to talk about in the month of August. And, and, and again, it comes back to if Jesus was here and He only had a little bit of time, Jesus spent... 15% of everything he said, 40% of the parables on one subject that he knew was probably the place where we would get lost more than any other. And it had to do with this. It had to do with our money and our finances and materialism. So you see the lost graphic, you probably figured it out along the way. The lost graphic was there, uh, the dollar sign in the middle of it, because I want to talk about financially being lost. That's what I want to talk about. Because Jesus teaches us that where our heart is, is, is where our treasure is, right? He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So, see, it's all interconnected. The GPS signal of God says, I want your heart to be on the road to life. And I know what takes your heart off track. I know what makes you not listen to me or get lost. I know what that is. Usually, it's the dollar sign. It's your treasure. Where our money goes, our heart goes. He also said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He actually used the word mammon in the original text, which was the God of money, which is kind of interesting. Because basically it's about serving this God or serving this God. That's what it basically boils down to. If you were with us when we did the story, we talked a lot about idolatry, ad nauseum about idolatry, because you get into the end of the Old Testament and you're like, the children of Israel are following the right GPS signal and they're doing really good, and then all of a sudden they follow false gods and they go get lost in the desert, literally lost in the desert, over and over again. And I got to the point where I was like, come on God, do I 
have to teach this again? How many times did you have to show it? But he showed it in the whole back of the Old Testament so that we would understand that, 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 that anything that we place in front of the value of God, anything that is a value that we place in front of the value of God is going to lead us in the wrong direction. And we did it over and over again. And I said this when we talked about it, and I know that, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you follow, why would you worship a golden calf? But you know what? If those people were here today, they would have the same question about the mall. Wouldn't they? Really? Why do you want to go there? I mean, I still have that question. Why, 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 why would you want to be there? Why, why would that happen? And it's about a false God that we allow to get in the place of something that God wants for us. Andy Stanley said this really well. He said, God wasn't trying to get people's money. He was trying to get people's money to keep people's money from getting them. Jesus, when he was teaching about money, was not trying to get people's money. He was trying to keep people's money from getting them. We all know what it's like when our money gets us, don't we? Jesus wants to untangle us from that. When God set up these commandments about you shall have no other gods before me, it wasn't because he was worried that these idols were going to be liked by the people more and they were going to do more for the people and he was going to lose his children. What he knew was that if they followed those idols, they were going to get lost because they were false. They were fake. It was the wrong signal. So please understand this if you don't get anything else. When it comes to your money, God wants something for you, not from you. God does not need your money. Do not think of that. We do not need your money. I do not need your money. God does not need your money. He wants something for you. And I do not, I, I don't, I don't want you to think that I teach on money because I want something from you. Uh, yeah, I got, we got a mission to complete. We got things to do. That yeah, money is important. But that's God's money. It'll all get worked out. I want something for you. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this week. There's not a verse in the Bible. There, there, there's one verse. I'll, I'll say it this way. One verse in the Bible where Jesus asked somebody for money. Only one verse. And you know when that was? It was when he asked somebody to show him a coin. And he said, show me, show me a coin. And they handed him a coin. And he said, who's on here? Caesar. And, they said, and he said, pay your taxes, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. And pay your taxes, pay your tithe, and here's your coin back. He borrowed it. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Jesus and money, the only other time I really know of him actually coming into contact with physical money was the time when the disciples didn't have the money to pay their temple tax. And Jesus said, go fishing, and the first fish you catch, open its mouth. And they did, and there was a four drachma coin in the fish's mouth. Jesus can make money. <laughs> you understand this, right? God could make money. He can make anything happen. Understand this. He doesn't need your money. He wasn't trying to get people's money. He wants you to be free from worry about money. He told us that in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry, your Heavenly Father can make money. He takes care of the sparrows. He wants you to avoid the evil entrapments that Paul talks about that are going to trap us when we're, when we're giving in to materialism. He wants us to experience the joy of being generous. God so loved the world that He gave and that's the most beautiful it's more blessed to give than to receive he wants you to be free from the burden of debt he wants you to be free to make an impact on others uh, to be able to do the things that you want to do no one can serve two masters he doesn't want you to be a slave are you lost that's the question 
According to the experts, more than half of all Americans, half the people in this room are lost in the area of personal finances. And some of you are going, I don't think I'm lost. You know what? I've not known I was lost before and been lost. Have you ever been there? They say that half of us. How do you know if you're lost financially? There's a few ways. You fight with your spouse over the right way to wash your paper plates. You might be lost. Your baloney has no first name. American Express calls and says, please, leave home without it. You might be lost. Compassion International gets your kids sponsored by a family in Ecuador. And during communion, you ask for seconds. You might, you might be lost, okay? Seriously, how do you know if you're lost? Well, if you spend more than you make, you're lost. And more than half of Americans do that. That's where we get our debt, right? If you don't know if you spend more than you make, you're really lost, okay? If you are paying the minimum on your credit card, you're lost. If you don't know the total amount of money that you owe, you are lost. If you aren't saving for the future, you think Social Security is going to take care of you later, good luck with that. You're lost. If you have no method of tracking where your money goes, you're lost. If you're making financial decisions that you hope the IRS never finds out about, you might, I'm starting to sound like Jeff Foxworthy, aren't I? You might be lost, okay? If you're making financial decisions that you hope your spouse never finds out about, you're really, really lost. And the truth is, a lot of us are in a place we never intended to be. We're in Croatia, and we don't know how we got there. 62% of Americans say the number one problem they struggle with in their life is money. Maybe that's why Jesus talked about it more than anything else. 56% of divorces list financial issues as the number one problem for why they break up. You see why Jesus gets this because where your treasure is your heart is and because we're lost and here's the deal with us okay Uh, we believe that uh, when Jesus left us in Matthew 28 when he went up to heaven right before he went he gave us some of his most important words it was as if he spent his whole ministry and he said okay listen before I go here's what I want you to concentrate on while you're there While you're still on earth, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, go and make, it's called the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Okay? Now, we're great at going and baptizing. We're one of the fastest growing churches in the country, and that's, that's all good. And we're doing a better job at doing the disciple part, and we're trying to help make disciples. But I think the part that really gets me when I read that is that we, most churches get three parts of that pretty well, but that last part, teach them to obey. That's a strong word, isn't it? Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Why would he say that? Because everything He has commanded us is to give us a good life, to give us a full life, to make us who God wants us to be. We're trying to get our discipleship process simplified. We're trying to get it down to three basic questions. I'm going to talk about them a lot around here over the next year or so. And and I want to throw them out at you when it comes to the area of finances. The first one is, where are you? If you don't know where you are, you're not going to know. Where is God in your money and the way you handle your money? Number two, what's guiding you? What's guiding you? What, what, could, what could Jesus' life and teaching be, have to do with the way you handle life and money going forward? And number three, what matters most to you? 
How's your priority list? How, how is this with you? I mean, because, you know, the truth of the matter is there are two things that are going to, if somebody from another culture came and looked at two things, they would tell where your priorities were. They would look at your bank account and they would look at your calendar and they would know. So what matters the most to you? That, that's, what, that's what I want to tell you. Those are the three things. Where are you? What's guiding you? And what matters most to you? Now I'm here to tell you again that this is good news because everything Jesus told us was good news. So don't react negatively when Jesus tells you good news. I know that sometimes hearing something about money is not easy. I know that sometimes hearing something about forgiveness is not easy when you're angry. I know that hearing about taking care of the poor is not easy because you're not sure you trust all that. I get all that, okay? But but if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to learn that everything he tells us is for our good. I remember Bill Brown, our executive pastor, telling me about taking his kids to Disney World for the first time. And he he was trying to tell them, you know, they, they threw this big surprise. and They said, hey, we're going to Disney World. And the kids were like, you know, okay, cool. You know, they've never been there before. And they didn't know what it was, and they didn't know what it was like. And he said it was really frustrating because they, they, were, they were just not as excited as he was because they'd never seen it before. And you'd probably had that same, you know, same thing with your kids. You're like, come on, kids, this is going to be fun. We're going to go, you know, let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. I don't want to. No, I don't want to. You want to, okay? That, you want to go, let's go. And finally, you just get to the point where you're like, just click it and zip it, we're going. And you throw them in the car, and you go. When they get there, they're like, this is the most awesome thing I've ever had. I promise you, that is going to happen in your life. You're going to be like the people in this testimony, and you're going to say, man, I wish I would have done this a long time ago. every day and having to take that dreaded walk to the mailbox to see what bills had come in today and were we going to be able to make that payment on them just really started the build. Back in 2001 we were engaged but he was in construction. Work was going great. Um, September 11th hit, construction came to a screeching halt and at that point I was laid off for good part of our newlywed years. We lived financially as though he was still working because we figured once he went back to work that we could just pay off all our bills and I would graduate and get a career and be making even more money. And this began our debt journey. My parents brought me in a Christian home and taught me the right way and so Growing up, we, we always went without. We only got what we needed, and they paid cash for everything. But when we had gotten married, when I tasted a little bit of what it was like to get what I wanted when I wanted it, it was hard to stop. Uh, we were charging anything and everything we wanted. Everybody we knew was doing the same thing. And at that point, we just started building our debt. We were making our minimum payments, so I didn't think that we were doing anything wrong and that we were out of control at all at the time. At this point, uh, our debt has really just taken a toll on me personally. When my son was born, it was just crazy. Like all the unexpected stuff that, you know, comes your way and you're not ready for it. And that gets added on to the debt that you already have. It just feels like overwhelming. And the stress level of knowing if I got laid off of work that we were going to be in trouble was just taking its toll on me. took a Bible study separately. She had a women's Bible study and I was in a men's group. It made us sit down together, actually write down all our debt, what we actually owned, what our monthly bills were, what we made, 
and uh, to that point in our marriage, we had never done a budget. One of the verses that really stuck out to me in our Bible study was Proverbs 13.22, which says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And what we were on the path to leaving our grandkids was debt. We had been living what the writer of Proverbs would call a foolish life. We had talked for hours that night and uh, just decided to bring it all to God. To, to go through our, our bills and really decide what we needed and what we didn't need and what we could live without and uh, just get back to the basics so we can start making a change. I had an eight-cylinder gas guzzler and uh, he had a fancy sports car that was not practical for a family. We traded those both in and got four-cylinder cars. We got rid of our home phone, our satellite TV, we got rid of your Harley, and I didn't even make you. My wife started, you know, shopping around for food, making sure she was getting the best prices on things, and uh, most of our clothes shopping started to go through garage sales and thrift stores, and really that, that cut a lot of our spending down. In the last about year and a half, we've paid off $70,000 in debt. Still got a little ways to go. We're not quite there yet, but uh, our goal is within the next year to be, I mean, completely debt-free minus our mortgage. Becoming debt-free has changed our life a whole, a whole lot. We were supposed to take a trip to Disney World. In the past, this would have been a no-brain decision for us. We would have went, wouldn't have thought twice about it. We would have charged all the all the bills for everything and dealt with it when we got back. One would think that, you know, with all these life changes, trying to get out of debt, that our lives wouldn't be happy. But in all actuality, we're happier than ever. We don't have a million TV channels anymore, so we spend a lot more family time together. Um, I don't have to monitor what my kids watch on TV because there aren't any choices. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we're a lot happier. When we talk about giving, and uh, my wife always wanted to give, wanted to sponsor children, I just knew we couldn't afford it. And uh, I'm happy to say now we, we tithe regularly and we have sponsored two children in the last six months. It's awesome to see our children get excited about writing, writing the children we're sponsoring and uh, to see them saving their allowance money to buy gifts for them is just really a blessing. It's just a blessing to see how much they love to give. I can only imagine, you know, how, how God feels about us. And it makes me feel so overwhelmed with joy about our future. That's my sermon, man. How, how do you argue with that? There's a narrow road that leads to life, and there's a wide road that leads to destruction. And yeah, I know everybody's on the wide road. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's paying the minimums. Everybody's got $70,000 worth of debt. Yeah, I know. But there's a narrow road, and it's going to make you breathe better. It's going to make you sleep better. It's going to give you life to the full. Now, there's some ways that we're going to help you over the next month. Um, one of the things is we offer a class here. You may have heard of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We're big believers in that. And we're going to offer FPU. There's actually an FPU class that will be on uh, a preview night tomorrow or mon yeah, tomorrow night here at Orland and, and at Lockport on Tuesday night. And we'd love for you to come out and just preview it. We'll have a, s a small amount of room for people in there. So not everybody can do it. So let me, just, let me just give you a little bit of what Dave Ramsey would say about this whole 
whole subject, okay? Um, the, the first thing he would say is that you're never going to get free from the monster of debt, and you're not, never going to get free from serving the God of mammon until you get a gazelle-like intensity. I love that phrase, a gazelle-like intensity. He says you've got to have a focus that is like so intense that it's the same thing as a gazelle who has a lion chasing him, okay? Because that's what you've got. You need gazelle-like intensity. You've got a lion. It's called uh, your credit card company. It's called, it's called debt. It's called whatever it is. That's how it enslaves you. And let me help you get angry just for a second, okay? Because I want to give you a gazelle-like intensity. If you had $3,000 on credit cards, which would be low on a national average, if you have $3,000 on credit cards and you decide that you're only going to make the minimum payments... Do you know how long it's going to take you to pay off $3,000 in credit cards on the minimum payments? Turn to your neighbor and give him a guess. All right. How many of you said five years? How many of you said 10 years? How many of you said 15 years? How many of you said 20 years? Would you believe... 23 years. Are you mad now? (laughs) If you have $3,000 in credit card debt and you pay the minimum, it's going to take you 23 years and you're going to pay $5,000 in interest over those 23 years. All right? Just trying to make you mad. Let me make you a little bit madder, okay? If you took that $3,000, let us say you saved up $3,000 instead and you invested $3,000 at a very normal rate in a mutual fund, in a very safe mutual fund, do you know how much money you'd have after 23 years? $150,000. I want to make you mad because you need a gazelle-like intensity. Do you see what I'm saying? No man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. So what do we do? Well, Ramsey's step zero, I love it, step zero, because it doesn't, you don't really do anything. It's what you don't do. You do not take on any additional debt. Do not go buy another car. Do not go do something that you can't afford. Take Disney World vacation. No more consumer debts. No more things that you think, oh, I just need to do this, and I can't pay cash, but I'm sure I'll have the cash later. Don't buy anything else. Okay, that's step zero. Step one, save $1,000. First thing you do. Save $1,000 for an emergency fund. 78% of us, 78% of us will have a major negative impact in a 10-year time period. You're going to have something happen. And $1,000 won't save you, but it'll get you started in an emergency fund so that if the washer breaks, you don't go try. Here's what's going to happen. The washer's going to break, you're going to charge it, and you're going to be like, well, I charged a washer, I might as well go ahead and get a dryer, right? And there you go. If you pay in cash, it's going to be different. Step two. The debt snowballs, my favorite. This is my favorite thing out of the whole day, Ramsey program. The debt snowball. You take the, the smallest payment that you have and you start paying down everything. You stop going to Starbucks. You sell stuff. You do whatever you can to pay down that first smallest debt. I don't care what the interest rate is. You pay down that smallest debt. And as soon as you get that smallest debt paid off, you roll that money into the next smallest debt. And you start a snowball. And you take all that money and you pay that off faster. And when you pay 
that off, you go to your next and your next and to your next. It is possible for you to do that to the point that you could actually not even have a mortgage. But let's concentrate on consumer debt for right now. A debt snowball. Save some money and go do something with it. Every dollar that you can find from anywhere, dig it out of the couch. I don't care what you do. Start paying on one and let it snowball into the rest. Step three. This is as far as I'll go. Downsize. You downsize. Okay, you got an emergency fund. That's all great. Now you start downsizing. You, you, you go from three cars to two or two cars to one or gas guzzler to smaller or wh- whatever it is that you need to do. You, 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 you sell stuff. You make Craig your best friend. Get on his list. How much junk do you have sitting around the house? Somebody else will buy it on Craigslist. I promise you they will. You start selling it. You, start, you sell your motorcycle. You sell your boat. You sell your timeshare. Start selling so much stuff that your kids get nervous. All right? <laughs> And remember this, this is about freedom. Listen, if somebody came along today and they said, I'm going to put you into slavery, you wouldn't take it. You wouldn't take it lightly. You would have a gazelle-like intensity to get out of slavery. That's what I want you to do. The other thing we're going to do to help you is we're going to give you this notebook. Did you get this notebook on your way in? Okay. You're probably like, I wonder what we're going to do with this notebook. Okay, here's the problem with being lost. Let me go back to the beginning. If you don't know you're lost... If you don't know where you are, you are never going to get unlost. So this is very pretty low tech. I couldn't afford to give you Quicken. Here's what I want to do. For the next two weeks, or for the next month at least, I want you to, starting from the moment you leave here, start writing down everything you buy, every purchase you make. Just start writing it down. Just start writing down when you go to lunch, when you go to brunch, whatever it is that you do, you write down how much you spent there. And I want you to keep track of it and I want you to categorize it because until you know what you're doing, you're never going to know how to do to give it, to, to get out of there. Okay? You've got to do it. And if you've got Quicken, start using it. There are some very great apps on your phone. If you've got a smartphone, get the apps and you can just put, put it right in there. Boom. And then you'll know. And then you can go back and you can look. How much money do I spend on eating out? How much money do I spend at Starbucks? How much money do I spend on this? Have you ever gotten lost and called somebody and said, hey, how do I get to your house? What's the first question they're going to ask you? Where are you? Okay. The first question I'm going to ask you is, where are you? If you don't know where you are, you're never going to get unlost. Okay. It goes back to the map deal. That's why we have a GPS. This is your GPS for the next month. Okay. To figure out where you are. And it's not hard, guys. This is, this is our money. We're not talking about love. We're not talking about relationships that are hard to define. We're not talking about your job that you can't control. You have total control over this. I know you have bills. I know that there are people asking you for things. I know that you only have a limited amount coming in. But you have total control over this. And some of you, you're going to be like, Ah, PT, that's just not my personality, man. I'm just kind of go to flow, you know. I'm an artsy dude. I don't, I'm an artsy guy. Okay, well, go home and draw pictures on the front. I don't care. But write down what you're spending. Because here's what I know. When the bill comes from ComEd or NICOR, you don't go, Hey, dude, I'm just kind of a go with the flow. I'm not going to make my payment this month. It's, it's really that simple. Okay? Draw a pretty picture, but write it down. And here's the reason we're doing this. Okay? I want you to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what I want. 
I want you to be, uh, unequivocally be a, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And you can't be a disciple of Jesus and just do some of the stuff that he says. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and not forgive, because Jesus said you've got to forgive. So I know you might be angry at somebody right now, but if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to forgive. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and not you know, love the poor, because Jesus said you've got to take care of the poor. So you need to love the poor. You need to, you need to just come to grips with that. And if Jesus said, don't serve money, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, then you need to figure out how to do that. And I want, you, I, I want that for you. I want you to be a disciple. Here's the other thing. I want you to experience God's faithfulness. Because when you and God start partnering on this deal, you are going to see some amazing miracles happen. You'll hear some stories along the way. I can tell you so many stories of people who said, you know what, I'm going to let God control my finances. I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to learn to give and be generous with God and invite God into this equation. And I don't know why, but God even promised that if we bring Him into the equation, He will take care of us. And I've seen God work in the area of fin- I've seen more miracles in the area of finances than in any other area in my 30 years of ministry. I've seen God heal people of, of physical ailments and everything else. But more than anything else, I see God show up financially because it's a test case for God when we do that. God said, test me in this. Bring the tithe to me and let's partner in this together and see if I don't throw open the floodgates. And I've seen it happen over and over again. Another reason I want to do this is because I want you to be free to be able to do the cool things that God lays on your heart because it's not just about money. I talk to people all the time, and like, I'd love to take off work and be able to go on one of those missions trips because they sound so awesome. Yeah, they are awesome, and I'd love for you to be able to do it. So, so maybe if you were able to take care of your money a little bit more, a little bit better, maybe you would be able to take a week off work. Maybe you could take a week off work without pay. I bet your boss would let you do that if you were told him you were going to Africa to help somebody, and if you didn't need the money because you were being financially responsible, you could actually go and ask him. I know people that can't go back to school, that can't do the things that God wants them to do, the things that they want to do to have life to the full. Why? Because they're a slave to you. The reverse financial decisions that they've made are keeping them from it. You may remember, I, I, I've told this story before, but I'll close this way. You may remember the 2004 Olympics. This is a great story. I don't, first of all, I don't know why shooting is in the Olympics, okay? I'll just say that. Or curling or a whole lot of other things that I just don't understand in the Olympics. But there's an Olympic medal for shooting, okay? Matt Emmons in the 2004 Olympics was the best shooter in the world. He had uh, uh, the best score going into the last round of the 50-meter target shooting contest at the Olympics. All he needed was an 8.1 to get the gold medal in shooting in his field. All he needed was an 8.1, which basically they said was just hit the target. You don't have to have a bullseye, nothing close, hit the target. He could have shot behind his, behind his head and won the gold medal. Except he stepped up for some reason that nobody's ever done before and nobody will ever do ever again, he stepped up in lane two and shot the target and got a bullseye in lane three and got a zero. Here's a picture of him right after it happened. That, that, that is the picture of the financial situation of more than half of the Americans in the world today. Shooting at the wrong target and realizing it a little bit too late.
So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to spend a little time in worship. Um, then we're going to have communion. And then we're going to spend a little bit more time in worship while we do the offering. Because it's an opportunity for us to be able to, 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 be able to spend some time giving back to God the things that are God's. And it's going to be a little bit of time for you to commit yourself to say, you know what, Jesus, if you taught so much about finances and you said where my treasure is, my heart is, I've got some stuff to do right now. I've got some evaluating because I might be lost. I'm going to tune into your signal for just a minute. So let's sing together. Got to visit some other churches while we were on our break and none of them had communion. I mean, it's not, you know, I don't think it's a command. They're not going to hell, but... Man, I love having this in our service. We have it every week in case you're new, you're wondering. Uh, you don't have to be from Parkview. We welcome you. It's the Lord's table. It's not ours. We do it every week because for me, I need to recenter. I need to refocus that I am yours and you are mine. That's what we do here. So we're going to pass these trays across and there's going to be two cups, one inside of the other. This is just convenience, but we're two cups, one inside the other. Take both cups out. There's, there's bread in the bottom cup and then there's juice in the top cup and just hold them for a moment. And we like to do it in unison. And again, you don't have to be from here. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to commune. It's something we do here every week because we feel like it's just a, a, an important thing. Jesus said, whenever you get together, I want you to do this. And so we're getting together and we're doing this to remember his body and his blood that were shed for us. And we're going to see some baptisms. And, uh, and these are two sacraments that, that, that are given to us to, to unite us with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, which is about new life. It's about abundant life. It's about, it's, about, it's about everything that we could ever possibly imagine in heaven and on earth. That's what it's about. And you can have it too. We'd love to help you. There'll be people praying for you up at the front after it's over. There's a prayer room. Let us know. Fill out your card. Let us know how we can help you. Right now, I just want you to unite yourself. Let's pray together. Father God, I just pray for um, us right now because sometimes it feels like when the preacher starts talking about money, he's, he's meddling. And uh, I know that. I know when I read the scriptures, sometimes I'm like, hey, hey, hey. But that's why you talked about it because that, that, that reaction right there, that means I got a heart problem. If I went to the doctor and he said I had a heart problem, I'd want to ask him what I ought to do about it. So if we got a heart problem today, I hope that you'll help us. I thank you for the opportunity to come right now and remember that you gave everything. So when, when you tell us how to manage our resources and you ask us to give back to you to demonstrate that we trust in you, it's not because you want something from us. It's because you want something for us. Let's be with us as we commune. Lord, if there are people in this room that don't have you or don't know if they have you, would you just help them to turn to you right now and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior of everything. Forgive me for my sins. I want to follow you. For all of us, that's what we do right now as we celebrate communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.